Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the... And there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, (laughs) Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for Andy Insider and the South Bend Tribune. The Irish have exited the bye week with a two-quarterback plan for Saturday's USC game. Jack Cohn will continue to start for the Irish, but head coach Brian Kelly wants to keep Tyler Buckner's role in the offense expanding. Since we talked a lot about the offensive line on last week's podcast with Mike Gullick Jr., it's only fitting that we switch back to talk about the quarterbacks this week. And to do so, we asked former Notre Dame quarterback Rick Meyer to grace us with his presence. Rick, thanks for joining us. It's good to be on with you guys. How's it going? Doing well. Glad you're here with us again. For those who are unaware, uh, Rick uh, knows has known Tyler Buckner for a few years as a high school athlete out in the San Diego area where Rick resides. Um, so I'm curious to start, Rick, what, what have you thought about how he's handled the role that he's been given as a freshman at Notre Dame? It's, uh, it's been fun to watch. Uh, not – you know, every single part of it, I guess. Um, there's been a few bumps in the road, as there should be for any any new guy. And I consider Jack Cohn a new guy, too. I mean, it's, you know, he's new to the program. But, um, yeah, it's just nice to see Tyler get involved. Um, Drew Pine did well, too. I mean, it's, it's a three-headed monster, it feels like, to me. And I, I, um, I think generally coaches try to avoid that, but it is what it is today. And, um it's nice to have a, another guy come in when you need a little spark. And that seems to be what, what Tyler's role is. Rick, um, you're familiar with the programs out in San Diego. I think your son's son, Charlie's team actually played Helix high this year. Is that right? Or no, they played La Mesa. Yeah. Helix is down a little bit. Uh, the year okay. Tyler yeah. was their big year, but it didn't happen. So, so my question to you is, had Tyler Buckner actually got a senior season at Helix instead of COVID wiping that out, um, do you think he'd be further ahead or do you think he's caught up wonderfully given the fact that he didn't have a senior season? I think it definitely would have helped just just to play more games. I mean, other than uh, the injury part, you, you know, you kind of guess you avoid any, any chance of that if you don't play, but um, just experience – you know competing um 
you know, he was in a smaller program, kind of dominated it, uh, had dominated most sports. I think every sport he played growing up. So, um, you know, playing with some bigger, faster, strongers would have been kind of nice, but it seems like he's closed the gap and got gotten adjusted. Um, there's nothing like getting thrown in there like he has a few times this year, but uh, I, I just feel like more, more games helps. Um, but he didn't have that luxury. didn't have that option. Just, just following up, you know, I think you threw about 30 passes as a freshman behind Tony Rice. And, and I'm wondering what that experience was like as a freshman, just kind of coming in and playing a little bit. What, what was the challenge of playing as a freshman? How did that change when you became a sophomore? You know, I don't think I got in a game that was kind of questionable. We, we were in control. That, that my role was different. Uh, I wasn't – Tony wasn't hurt. Uh, we weren't behind. I, I don't think anything was very close. I can't remember one being, you know, that stressful at that, that season. So that's kind of nice. Um, uh-huh. And I also – I tried to be him or I tried to do my version of what he was because that way the offense only changed by one person. I think as time went on, I did different things or we did different things offensively and kind of evolved a little bit just because of what I was, you know, comfortable with compared to what Tony was prior to me even getting there. But um, now it's kind of like you have two different, totally different styles, you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's that's something for everybody to adjust to and, and not just the cadence and the way you sound and sort of the rhythm of that, but you know, where is this guy he's running around or, you know, he's not just yeah. in pocket. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's different. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I was a freshman, but I tried to, I tried to make it easier on everybody else by just being do kind of what Tony would have done. Rick, that was, that was Tyler Buckner's first time playing in a road atmosphere. And certainly that was a pretty hostile crowd to sort of enter that moment. You're, First road start as a sophomore came at Michigan State. I'm curious, what do you remember from that experience and how challenging was was doing something like that? Yeah, I, I remember the game ending uh, with some drama like the previous week. Um, right. You know, we had a nice rivalry with with Michigan State. Those games were close. Those games were competitive and and always early in the year. And um, I don't remember being overwhelmed by it. I, I think we were pretty good and pretty prepared. Um, a whole year to get under your belt definitely helps. And I had seen some craziness, you know, being to Miami and we played at Michigan and, you know, some, some pretty, you know, Penn state, my freshman year as a, as a second guy, we we were at the Meadowlands playing Virginia in that kickoff classic. So, you know, I hadn't, as a high school kid, I hadn't played in front of 80 or a hundred thousand people, but I did as a freshman. So as a sophomore, it wasn't the first time seeing it. Um, I, I wonder, you know, I haven't read or seen what Tyler's comments are, but, you know, getting thrown in in some of these mm-hmm. environments is a little bit different than playing at Bishop's Bishop's High School or the Bishop's <laughs> La Jolla. So, hey, good for him for hanging in there and fighting through a hamstring thing a little bit, too. But, yeah, I don't you don't have time to worry too much about it when you're that that age and you're you're you know, you're called to go in. You just go play. Rick, um, I'll save you some. Uh, fretting over that, there have not been Tyler Buckner comments yet. They haven't made him <laughs> available to the media. Oh, really? so, so we're wait, we're waiting for that moment too. So you haven't missed anything, but uh, you know, you having been familiar with him, and we saw it a little bit in the spring, but 
you having been familiar with him, what's his arm talent like? Because we haven't seen that as much. And what do you think the next step is? Because I don't think he's going to be a primary runner his career. I think that's just going to be an incredible dimension to add what what he will turn out to be. Don't you think so? Oh, yeah. He's blessed with some athletic ability, but the kid's a thrower. I mean, he is um... – I remember watching a couple seven-on-seven tournaments with all these high school teams, and I, I mean, some kids just look different. The ball comes out of their hand a little different, and and he was one of those guys that stood out. Um, I didn't follow the the elite eleven stuff so much because it was not our class, not my son's year, so I'm running off in some other direction. But um, I hate to see anyone say he's not a thrower because he is. I mean, he's definitely a thrower, and and it's a situational thing. I got to believe you want to protect the young guy the best you can too, but um, it's not his fault. He can run like crazy too, you know? So he's going to, he's going to give him a different, a different element. I think with the, with the legs and uh, over time, all the other stuff and the trust to throw it in certain situations backed up or whatever will come. But, you know, you kind of just need to get thrown in there and have it happen. And, and that's sort of what's going on. I, I, uh, you live and learn. And I, I know he's getting coached well and they're studying the film and looking at mistakes and looking at good things. And, and you just try to, you know, minimize the bad stuff. So uh, I have no, I have no worries about him throwing it. Um, I just hope they have enough guys to go catch it. That, that'd be nice too. <laughs> Rick, I think people, it's a natural concern when there's multiple quarterbacks playing is like, okay, who's going to be disgruntled from how this is being played out. But it seems, at least from the outside and from how Brian Kelly reports it to us, that these guys are all pretty supportive of each other and are, are cheering each other on when each of them gets their chance. How, how important do you think that is when these guys are sort of going back and forth and sharing time that they're able to support each other and sort of have each other's back? Well, I've been in a lot of scenarios where multiple guys play for whatever reason, and, and it can go fine because they're um, – mature enough to handle it and and they care enough about the team to handle it right or it can just be a mess and I don't see that happening so uh as a parent of those age kids it I think the parents are stressed out pretty good because <laughs> you don't know what to worry about and when when your time's going to come and, and that's kind of not the normal audience I suppose there's, there's a lot of people that aren't parents of of those uh age guys but that's what I see when I'm watching. I'm like, Oh my God, what, you know, what next? Like what, whose turn is it? And, and the speculation from the guys in the booth, like who's going to come out after half or whatever. So, I mean, some, some nice games where you just kind of control the game from the start would help. That would be, that would be good for everybody, but you know, that the, the guys must get along. Well, Tommy, I'm sure has them kind of on the same page and it's an unselfish role when it's done right. And not everybody can do that. And I think these guys are doing that part pretty well. You know, and just the different skill sets, you had mentioned earlier that you just tried to be Tony um, when when you were both there. The, the guy I want to ask you about is Kent Graham because he overlapped you guys a little bit or he overlapped Tony quite a bit. And he was definitely different. Um, and, and I wondered how he kind of coped with having a different skill set. I mean, it worked out for him. He got a shot at the NFL, but uh, – you know, yeah. it was just such a – how did he deal with being in the quarterback room? How did he deal with practices when it was way different skill set? He left. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he, he left. 
and we knew each other, but we didn't play together. I had Steve Bellis, Pete Graham, uh, Jake Kelschner came in with me. Okay. And then, so we had, we had a room full of different styles and different ages. Um, I remember Bellis was a fifth year and you guys remember Steve, I, yeah. he was a senior and I go, how am I playing ahead of you? Like, you you know, you're I'm, I'm 18 or whatever it was as a freshman. <laughs> we, we joked to him, like he, he was like the old guy, but, but he was super supportive. And, you know, we got all those guys in games when we could and, and everything was, there was a lot of harmony, but I think winning takes care of a lot of that. Everybody was pretty satisfied and kind of happy and, and coach Holtz didn't let us, we weren't allowed to be selfish. So that, that, that wasn't happening. And yeah, I, I, Kent was a very different style and he was a good enough player to play all the way, you know, at the big, biggest level, but it just, that wasn't the right offense for him and never was. And, and he probably did the right thing at the right time and had years left to go play. Rick, when, when I asked you about the Michigan state game, you, you mentioned how the, the Michigan game the week before and that Michigan state game had pretty tight endings. I'm curious what uh, what was the value you took from that as a quarterback from from seeing your team sort of come out of those situations successfully? I think you just gain trust in each other and you and you believe you're never out of it. You believe you know you only think about winning. And coach always talked about you know you never let losing enter your mind, and we didn't. You know, and um, it was that those two were dramatic. I was young, made my mistakes. We made some good plays to cover for it. And it, and it's, you know, the ball bounces our way once in a while. And that that's actually memorable. The first half of the game, I couldn't tell you anything. I, I mean, it was, it was like, <laughs> we just, we ran our offense and played good D. And so was it came down to the final couple of plays, I bounced one off a DB's chest and we catch it. And uh, I never saw him. He kind of blended in with the, the background because of the way that stadium was. And <laughs> I, I could still see that picture vividly. That was Alan Haller. I knew the guy and, and uh, I felt sick for him, but um, yeah, I, you, you just get to believe that you, you're always going to come through and pull it out. And uh, it, it would have been nice for it to be a little simpler than that, but you know, it made it exciting. Yeah, does, does it help to have made those mistakes and sort of been able to recover from them? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's clearly, you know, the result was fine, but everyone who watches the film knows, like, that's that's not right. supposed to. And let's just thank our lucky stars on a couple of these bounces. But I do think those things do even out. Like, you kind of get, you know, especially then without replay and stuff, you got some calls that just didn't, don't go your way sometimes. And I don't think there were a lot of specific ones in that game but it was it was close enough at the end that a couple plays you know mattered a lot and we we had a little bit of the luck of the Irish going our way and and those guys were shaking their head when it was over and <laughs> we on to the next week Rick if Brian Kelly gets to the point that he decides this tag team works best with putting Buckner in the game at the start instead of you know in the middle or as a reliever how do you think that makes a big difference in his mindset and the way defenses look at him and attack him and scout him? I think without a doubt, Tyler's the, he's a part of the future, right? Jack's got his days are numbered and you're going to, you want to, you don't want to ruin a guy in one season, just, just, it's just because you want minutes. So ease him in where it makes sense. But then another part of me believes these coaches 
Like if, if, you know, this is early in the year, you need a fake punt. You need an onside kick. You need to do all these things. So the other team has to look at all that stuff all week long. Now these guys have to prepare for two different quarterbacks. It's just a lot for a defensive coordinator or the defensive players. Like, okay, here's what this guy might do. This dude's a whole different animal, you know, if, if he's in there. So you can say what you want about it's it's kind of a mess playing multiple guys, but it does make it really hard on the defense. The other team has a lot more homework to do because they don't know what you're going to throw at them either. So I got to believe that plays into it. I would, I like that personally. I would never want the other team to be relaxed and feel good about exactly what we were going to do. I want them guessing. And this, this is one way to do it. It's, you know, historically, it's kind of a tricky thing, but it's um, it's probably the right play right now. And, and, and look, they've had a couple injuries. Your your old line's not exactly what it's been the last few years. I mean, maybe this helps make up for some of that. Rick, exactly how difficult was what Jack Cohn did in that he started the game against Virginia Tech, had three series that didn't necessarily go Notre Dame's way, and then he comes off the bench for the final two drives in the fourth quarter scores a touchdown, a two point conversion and, and sets them up for a field goal to win the game. How, how, how hard is that as a quarterback? It was probably cold for the whole game after being benched to come right off the bench and be able to step up in that moment. I mean, it was huge. I honestly couldn't see that game. I was in Ann Arbor visiting my middle son and all I could get on was the Michigan game that was going on at the same time. And that was also dramatic. So I was following along on my phone the best I could. And and I could tell the guys were in and out, but when he came, you know, now you're down eight, you got to score twice, you know, all the drama. And he came through on, on, with very little time. So yeah, it's not easy. It's at any level. It's tough coming in kind of cold or coldish. Um, but then again, there's something about like you got you almost have nothing to lose, right? You you, you make those throws in certain situations because if you if you don't take the shot, you're gonna you're gonna lose a different way. So good for him. I felt really good for the guy. Um, he he doesn't want to come out of the game at any point, right? Whether he's got a sore leg or plays poorly or whatever. I mean, he, he, he understands who the future is and, and his time is now. And um, I, like, I'm, I'm just happy that he got to smile when it was over. That's not an easy place to go play, no matter who's on the team. And uh, again, like they could have won handedly or win like that. And there's just a weird way to kind of react to that. And I think you can actually gain a lot from having that kind of comeback win and get your guys rallied and excited in a way they wouldn't have been if you just kind of lead the whole time. Rick, uh, I noticed that uh, I didn't realize Charlie has grown. Is he 6'6"? Six, six? He's 6'6 six, six plus, and he's got a lot of hair. So he feels 6'8". Oh <laughs> yeah, he's like 6'6 six, six and a half, I think, if, you, if he was at a combine tomorrow. But, yeah, he was heavier um, – He's like 220 right now, I think, 20-something. He was like 35. So he's moving around pretty good and feels good, and he's looking down at me. That's kind of the, the new thing. And and they played really good competition. I know they played Concord, De La Salle, and um, Centennial, and I think they won all their other games by pretty wide margins other than those two powerhouses they ran into. So what's his recruiting look like? And what's the season been like for you to enjoy as a dad? Well, it's been nice to play in the fall. You know, we, we missed last. They pushed it back to spring and you knew you were only playing a few games and there's no playoffs. So this feels different. I'm happy for these seniors to get these games in. Um, 
they took on some studs. I mean, Concord, De, De La Salle's De La Salle. I mean, they've been good for 30 years, but Corona Centennial might be the best high school team I've ever seen. And I say that not just because they have all these Division One type guys, but they're super well coached. They were very organized, didn't have penalties. Um, just, I mean, they alternated quarterbacks every series, every other series, the entire game. And it's like they they could have scored a lot of points. They scored fifty seven, and it could have been it could have been more because they were a machine. So to go play those guys means you have some confidence in who you who you are. But um, it's, you know, it's hard to lose those, but those don't really count. The league stuff matters, the playoffs locally. Eventually, the, somebody's going to come along that's going to be similar to that. So hasn't been that way in San Diego, you know, yet. Um, but the recruiting thing's been interesting. We went to Stanford a few weeks ago. We're going to go to Ann Arbor for his official um, in two weeks, I think. Um, we're talking to a few other schools. Um, this class of 22 is interesting because if you didn't play in the fall, you kind of got behind everybody else. And Charlie's kind of a project anyway. He, he's This isn't a passing first offense, so we knew that. I knew that 10 years ago. So um, but this was never going to be about stats and stuff. It's, it's For me, it's about potential. Um, I just want to help find a, a place that's a good fit and someone that's going to develop a big body and a kid that wants to play and expects to play. Speaking of Centennial, um, Notre Dame has a recruit on their team, Jaden Mickey, the corner. And Number eight. I think he, he, yeah, d- did he jump out at you in that game? I know he returns kicks too or punts. They got about five of those guys. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, I, I knew I wanted to know who, what number he was, and I was watching. I mean, they just they all um, ran around. He did return a kick. God, I hope I don't think he made an interception. I don't remember, but um, <laughs> the, yeah, they were they had us on the ropes. We did move the ball pretty well. We just we just could stop their offense. So yeah, good looking kid. Like they, and they produced a bunch. Um, so I, I was the more I learned about them, kind of leading into it, the, the staff's great. The, the it's organized. School was nice. It was a it was a nice operation, and there's no I don't know who's going to beat them. That'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how they where they land and at what division and everything. But they're good, and I haven't seen Bosco and you know you know some of the other ones uh, modern day. They're good too. They're really good. But this I, I think this team can hang with those guys. Rick, just before we started recording the podcast, you tweeted about the Napa Valley Harvest Report, where you're you're certainly doing work uh, with Mir Napa Valley. Um, how are things going out there, and where can folks buy some wine if they're interested? Well, yeah, I I saw that uh, that article, and I thought it was fun to share because we've had four years in a row of fires, and this year we we I got news we're done, harvest everything's in, and it's like now we can now we can kind of breathe, but. Um, yeah, it, farming's not the easiest thing in the world, and I don't, you know, major in that part. But I'm just happy when the when we're out of the danger zone, you know. So uh, yeah, the website's the easiest. We've we've had a busy stretch. Um, Mirrorwine.com is where the wines are. We're doing a bunch of holiday planning and stuff now because you you hear all I've been joking at home here like you hear all the time about all this supply chain stuff and you you know you can't order Christmas gifts and all that and I well buy domestically buy the wine. <laughs> Mm-hmm. sitting there ready to go and it's it's uh shipping is a little bit out of our control sometimes with the speed of it because i know these ups's and fedexes are overwhelmed a little bit but yeah we're, wine might be the gift of the year you know for the for the over 21s but uh we're hoping we're ready for that we're, we're gonna 
get some information on the website so that it's easy, but from corporate stuff to just personal stuff, it's just fun to share wine. And that's, this is a busy time of year for us. Do, do you have any events coming up at Notre Dame or are all those in the rearview mirror? Well, the wine is there. Um, I don't, I, because of these football Fridays, I, I don't plan to be back until, you know, several times in the spring, we'll probably do some stuff in the spring. Cause you know, Mo's got one more lacrosse season. Um, you know, we've, we've been involved with the tailgate stuff at legends for all the home games. And now here we are more than halfway through the season. Um, uh, you know, cause we're doing this play like a champion today, branded stuff too, uh, which is at the Morrison and now all over town, uh, Martins and some of the retail places, Belmont and, um, some of those. So yeah, no events exactly, but there will be stuff in the spring and we had some fun in, you know, late summer, early fall, um, to, to kind of launch. And, uh, we kept saying it's always fun and it always helps when the team wins. So more reason for those guys to, to perform too, because it's fun to celebrate when you, when you win. All right, Rick, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us and joining us once again. Hey, no problem guys. Thanks. All right. Now it's time for place your bets. How much you want to make a bet? I can throw a football over the mountains. This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for Notre Dame USC. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under 150 passing yards for Jack Cohn. That's a tough one uh, because I think Tyler Buckner is a really difficult matchup for USC. They have not done well with mobile quarterbacks. And so I think his window of opportunity, as long as he doesn't twist an ankle, is going to be greater than it was in the Virginia Tech game. So I'm going to go under 150 yards for Jack Cohn. All right. Yeah, Jack Cohn hasn't thrown for more than 150 yards since the Wisconsin game. Um, but USC's passing defense isn't very good. Um, I don't feel extremely confident in it, but I will, I will take the over that Jack Cohn will get over 150 passing yards. Next one I have for us, Eric, is will J.D. Bertrand lead Notre Dame in tackles? Well, he often does. I, I guess the thing here is the coverage of Drake London, um, USC's midseason All-American wide receiver who averages more than 10 catches a game. So somebody's going to have to tackle him when he makes those catches. <laughs> My sense is Hamilton's probably going to be the leading tackler uh, because I think he's going to be involved in that plan. So I will say J.D. will not lead the team in tackles. Yeah, J.D. has led the team in tackles every game this season or at least been tied for the lead. Um, and I was thinking about going the way you went, but then I looked up his – I took a closer look at his stats. Even against Purdue, who threw the ball 54 times, he still had 12 tackles. Um, now, obviously, I think USC's passing game is a little bit more dynamic than Purdue, but they also have a big-time receiver in David Bell who could uh, give Notre Dame fits, who they kept in relative check. Um, so I – I will go ahead and stick with J.D. Bertrand as continuing his, his uh, lead uh, of the defense and tackles and, and go with yes for this question. Next one, over under 140 rushing yards for Notre Dame. I think the changes on the offensive line with Joe Alt and Andrew Kostopic are significant changes. They had 180 against Virginia Tech. That was a season high. I think Virginia Tech's rush defense is better than USC's. Um, 
So I'll say, yeah, I, I think they'll be over 140 rushing yards. Yeah, Notre Dame has not has only surpassed 140 rushing yards once, and that was the Virginia Tech game. And it's it's pretty wild that 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 is the stat. And then USC allows 148 yards per game, and they're they're not exactly um, the the best run defense, and they're not they're not a terrible one either. But they're just sort of middle of the pack. But that's still Notre Dame could get less than what USC allows, and it would still be a very a, a good performance comparatively to how they've run the ball this season. Um, I think Buckner's going to have a bunch. Yeah, so Buckner uh, has the opportunity to add to that. USC also isn't great in terms of uh, uh, recording sacks. Um, and with Drake Jackson being questionable, maybe that um, help, uh, that would certainly help Notre Dame in protecting either Jack Cohn or Tyler Buckner. So um, I think uh, Notre Dame will be able to surpass the 140 rushing yards. So that would be an over. Um, next question is, will Jonathan Doerr make a field goal? Sure, why not? I mean, I, I that was an interesting question. There must be some history behind the USC game that you asked that question, but I'll say yes, he will make a field goal. Well, I, the reason I asked is Notre Dame has played six games. How many games do you think Jonathan Doerr has made field goals in? Well, I know he made one in the last game, and I know he made one in Florida State, so <laughs> – um, I'll say he's made it in four of the six. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So there have been games that he hasn't made, uh, hasn't made field goals. So that was why I thought I'd throw that in there. So, but I, I will go with yes as well. Um, and that will be reflected in my final score prediction. Next question is, uh, over under eight and a half catches for USC's Drake London. Well, eight and a half would be below his average. Um, You know, they protect Slovis well, but Slovis has really struggled this year. He is he was a first-round projection, and he's not that right now. He even lost his job for a while, and then the backup got hurt. Um, I think Notre Dame's going to have a plan for that. They're not going to let him beat it. I, I still I think he'll get some catches, but he won't get over eight and a half. Um, so I say under. All right, yeah, Drake London has caught at least nine passes in all but one game, um, and that was the four catches that he had against Stanford. And Brian Kelly says, well, let's just do whatever Stanford did to just to slow him down. Um, it would probably be easier said than done. Um, so I'm going to go over. I'm not sure how much Notre Dame is going to completely sell out to try and limit him. I'm curious. I'm not sure that it would be a bad strategy if they did, um, but I'm not sure. I think they're going to try to keep it in front of them more than – trying to deny him catches. Right, right. And so that should allow him to at least get catches. Um, um, and so maybe he doesn't have like a low number like four, but maybe he could still struggle to get to that nine mark. But I, I, I will predict over um, because I think USC is going to try to do whatever they can to try and get him the ball as much as they can. And then lastly, what is your final score prediction for Notre Dame USC? I'll go Notre Dame 34, USC 24. All right. Uh, I also have a 10-point margin, but I have Notre Dame 31, USC 21. I think Notre Dame can score a little bit better than USC will be able to, um, just in part because I think Notre Dame's defense um, is better than what USC's defense is. So um, I, it's, it's, I don't know that I've predicted a 10-point victory for Notre Dame in a while now, so I felt kind of weird doing that, doing more than a one-score victory, but I think there's a no, chance they can do that. 
All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys, are, are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First question I have for us, Eric, is from Derek Gerber at GerbsIris02. I know we can't get enough O-line questions here, but let's go a different route. Logan Diggs looked, looked pretty impressive against Virginia Tech in a hostile environment. If both Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree are healthy, how many snaps could Diggs realistically see this season? Well, I think there's two big factors beyond Kyron and Tyree. One is, are they trying to redshirt Diggs? He hadn't played even on special teams, so he missed the first five games. That means he could play in three of the remaining six or seven and still redshirt, and they may still want to do that. Um, the other thing that kind of factors into this is how far into the doghouse is Sebo Flemister? Uh, because if he barks his way out, then I think he has a chance to earn carries over digs. I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, so I, I'm going to say he's going to redshirt um, if because you – um, Derek Gerber has have prefaced it with those two other running backs being healthy. So I'll say maybe 15 to 20 carries at, at the most. Yeah, I I'm not sure to me. Like, he said snaps, but I, I did carries. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, I Well, if Derek doesn't allow that, I'll I'll let him tweet at you and be angry with you. Um, okay. I think. uh so to me, the, the redshirt idea, I'm not sure. Like, if a running back is good, he's never going to use his fifth year um, at, in college um, because you want to go to the NFL with as little wear on your tires as possible. Um, so I don't know that Notre Dame will be con- – how concerned they will be with that. Um, I'm curious it's to see that. It's odd they wouldn't have played him any in the first five games, not even on special teams, because they played Audric Estime on special teams. Yeah, but Audrick Estime is also a different like type of athlete. Yes, I think in, yes. in terms of in terms of like covering, like Audrick Estime can hit you and blow you up. I mean, that's not Logan Diggs' specialty. Yes. Like, like he certainly can be a physical running back and run through guys at, uh, at, at the point of attack. But um, I think they're they're different body types. Um, so I, I I didn't really put the red shirt into play here. So I assume that they could use him whenever they felt like they needed to use him. And so I guess maybe somewhere in the fifty to seventy five range, maybe averaging out close to 10 snaps per game. Um, and that could be inflated in, in a lopsided game or two. Um, and so, may, I mean, maybe there is a chance that they could still do that across picking just the, the right three games the rest of the season. Um, but I, I think that um, as long as those guys are healthy, I don't know that he's going to have a significant role in the offense. Because like, he doesn't – he's a well-rounded running back, but I don't know that he has like a specific skill set. It's like we need Logan Diggs out there to do X – um, that, that Kyron Williams or Chris Tyree can't do if they are healthy. Right. And I'm not sure if he's a closer either where if you're trying to run clock and, and trying to save wear and tear on those guys, right. He's that guy like Sebo would be. Sure. Next question is from at DOC DO Carroll one, any Prince Collie at linebacker this weekend. And he gave, did his best uh, place your bets question more carries Logan Diggs or Chris Tyree. Okay, I definitely think Chris Tyree, even though Brian Kelly called him Kyrie in the press <laughs> conference. I think John Fennerin even said the question Kyrie. So 
Finn, Finn, Finn did say Tyree. I went back and listened. Oh, he did? Sure okay. It wasn't his fault. Yes. <laughs> okay. So so I thought, well, who's Kyrie? Is it Kyron and Tyree together? But um, so I, I almost asked about Tyree because I wasn't clear. But I <laughs> right. thought, did he say Tyree or Kyrie? Anyways, Tyree with more uh, carries than Diggs. And they did spend some developmental time, I think, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I just don't know that Prince Collie is ready for high leverage snaps yet, which every game seems to be right. um, because they're, and I, I would assume this one's going to be close. It's, you know, the line is around six and a half. So, um, but eventually he will. Um, but this, I don't think is the game where he gets a whole bunch of uh, love on, on um, in relieving JD Bertrand. Yeah, we're we're at the point of the season with Prince Kali that I'll believe it when we see it. Like I'm not I'm not going to predict that this is going to be. I don't know that I would predict any specific week that, as the week that we will see um, some Prince Kali at linebacker and some sort of rotation to spell JD Bertrand. Um, and as for t- uh, the more carries, I, I I agree with you on Chris Tyree and uh, the reason he was mentioned in the press conference on Monday. Brian Kelly was asked about his health, and um, Brian Kelly said that he had practiced last week, so that was a Bit of a surprise to me, um, given that he was dealing with a turf toe injury against uh, Virginia Tech. Um, so it must not be hampering him too much anymore. Um, it isn't that serious, but I think turf toe injuries can sort of flare up sort of unexpectedly too. So maybe that could come back to be an issue. But I think uh, Notre Dame at least feels pretty good about where he's at right now. So I, I would imagine he'll have more carries than Logan Diggs against USC. Next question is from Jack Quinn at JQ6008. ND and USC have only had two meetings since 1989, with both ranked in the top 10, 05 and 06, and many where one was unranked. To what extent has this rivalry dropped off on a national scale, and do the current ND students even care more about this game uh, that much, even care about this game that much more than the others? Well, I mean, the last four of the last five, Notre Dame has been ranked, and they've been ranked at least 14th, if not higher. Uh, they did have a game in 2017 where they were numbers 13 and 11, and at the time, that 11th ranked USC team was the highest ranked team to come to Notre Dame Stadium in the Brian Kelly era. I, I still think it carries national weight um, because a lot of times, for example, in um, 2018 and 2012, Brian Kelly mentioned this, you know, they were playing to go into a playoff or a national championship game. And those were competitive games. Um, and I think that from a fan base, I'm not going to make this just ND students. I'll, I'll lump everybody into the same uh, category. I still think USC is the team, the program on Notre Dame schedule that they compare themselves to in recruiting and in other things. It's kind of the measuring stick. Now, Notre Dame has a chance to win four in a row for the first time since you know Rick Meyer was there when Notre Dame won 11 in a row between 83 and 93. Um, so, yeah, I, I still think this is a significant rivalry. Uh, you know, even though the uh, if they were still playing Michigan State every year with that megaphone on the line, who knows? <laughs> but, uh, I still think it's the number one rivalry for Notre Dame. 
Yeah, I don't think both teams have to be great for a rivalry to ha- still have relevance. I mean, specifically on a year-to-year basis, it can sort of depend on what other games are being played that weekend. Um, and I, I expect there will be a lot of people watching the Notre Dame and USC game that aren't Notre Dame and USC fans on Saturday night, um, just because I, I don't know that there's a lot of big-time games that it's going up against. Um, and this isn't necessarily a spotlight game or a, a game that a lot of people are – maybe talking about during the week just because neither team is necessarily in playoff contention. Um, but I, I still think it's, it's an important rivalry on the national stage. Um, I think it, I mean, even the, like the Texas Oklahoma game had, has some hype and, and Texas hasn't been great in the last several years. Um, so I, I think it's still like in that conversation of one of the, the best rivalries in college football. I don't know like what the current student uh, temperature is in terms of how much they're into the rivalry. I would imagine they still are. Um, certainly, I mean, maybe like kids that are freshmen or sophomores that were freshmen last year that didn't get to experience an Notre Dame USC game. Maybe they don't know as much about it. But I, I think, I think it's just something. As soon as you get to the school, you sort of learn who your rivals are as you go through the the, the football season. I mean, I when I went, I mean, obviously it's different. But when I went to DePaul University, I didn't know anyone at Wabash College or had a reason to not like them, but I knew that I was at DePaul, and so we didn't like Wabash. So that was a sort of passed down, and I think that still is the case for uh, Notre Dame students as well. Next question is from at Irish Case 5 Besides the O-line play, what has disappointed and what has exceeded expectations for this season? Well, so many of the things statistically are kind of tied to the line, but I'll, I'll right. name a couple pass efficiency rating as a team 64th. That should, should have been higher, even with a worse offensive line. And, and I think turnovers lost in Notre Dame is around 80th and that's way too many turnovers to lose. And again, some of that has to do with the quarterbacks being under pressure, but that's a high, high number. And it's a more highly penalized team than usual. Brian Kelly's team usually is in the upper third in terms of fewest penalties. They're not USC-like in being at the bottom, but they're trending toward, you know, the bottom third or the bottom fourth of teams with penalties. As far as exceeding, I mean, I think there's been individuals like J.D. Bertrand and um, Joe Walt and um, – you know, turnovers gained, they've been really good. I did not expect them to be one of the top 10 teams. I knew Marcus's defense would bring pressure, but they've really made a living on uh, turning other teams over. But I'd say probably the thing that they've really surprised me at is how good of a fourth quarter team in terms of comebacks they've had. Right. <laughs> That's not exactly a quality you want all the t- have to use all the time, but it's right. I guess it's nice if you have to use it that you've been able to do it. Yeah, I think when I was thinking of the disappointments, it was hard to like avoid something that wasn't being impacted by the offensive line. Like I thought the quarterback play, Jack Cohn's inconsistency, um, his lack of mobility and pocket awareness were all things that I thought have been disappointing to me. And obviously the offensive line is impacting that some, but um, and the running game obviously is struggling to get its footing with a with a bad offensive line. Kevin Austin Jr.'s struggles at times have been disappointing. It's not hugely surprising given his lack of experience, but I didn't think he would uh, 
I didn't think he would be this inconsistent. I thought he would be more consistently dominant um, than he has been. But I mean, that was probably maybe I had too high of expectations for him. I imagine Braden Lindsay would maybe be another answer for fans, but I've I've been a little skeptical that he was going to be a star wide receiver. I think he's a, an important player in this offense, and I think his role can continue to expand. Um, but I didn't expect him to like come out the gates as like this the next Will Fuller or something like that. So um, in terms of exceeded expectations, J.D. Bertrand, um, obviously I think that, I mean, when we get asked about surprises or anything like that, he always is mentioned, I think, first for me. Um, Jason Adamalola, I thought he would play well, but I think he's played even better than I expected. Um, and Cam Hart has exceeded expectations and been a pretty good cornerback. Um, when I was maybe a little bit skeptical that that would be the case. Um, and uh, I thought I thought cornerback play, in general, was going to be the biggest concern for Notre Dame's defense. And while it has at times not been the, the best, but I think for the most part, it's been pretty good. Next question is from Michael Kenny at Domer747. Notre Dame has a good chance to win the rest of its games if what happens? Well, I talk about this a lot, write about this a lot. There's five key metrics that you need to be top 30 top 25 at if you're going to be a playoff type team. Now, Notre Dame is not going to be a playoff type team, but 11 and one is a pretty good season. And those are rush offense, pass efficiency, rush defense, total defense and turnover margin. Notre Dame is only in the target zone and turnover margin. They're 21st. They're 118th in rush offense. As those numbers go up, Notre Dame has a chance to win those games. When you're bad, really bad at a couple of those, and Iowa was, you have a thin margin for error. And, and Iowa depended on turnovers and their defense too much. And Notre Dame, you know, they certainly can improve defensively, but they need to start catching up with their offense. Uh, and if they do, which would mean improved offensive line play, in a stable quarterback situation, that doesn't mean you need one, but just a stable quarterback situation where you're improving, then, then I think they could be an 11 and one team. Yeah. I I mean, the first one, I mean, naturally that I thought of was the offensive line continues to improve. If it, if the offensive line continues to get better, I think Notre Dame has a chance to win the rest of its games. Um, The other one I had was maybe too specific and sort of reflective of how it seems like Notre Dame is constructing its offensive plan from the quarterback's position. But the, my other um, phrase, I suppose, was Tyler Buckner isn't asked to complete comebacks. If Notre Dame doesn't put Tyler Buckner in a position where he has to complete comebacks, which they sort of put him in that position against Virginia Tech, although it was early in that game um, where they did that, I just don't know that that's necessarily a winning formula for Notre Dame on a consistent basis moving forward so they obviously if, if they don't if they're not doing that obviously they either had the lead or Jack Cohn is playing well enough that they don't feel like they need to put Tyler Buckner in the game um, but I think those would be two keys that I would look for um, for Notre Dame to have a good chance to win the rest of its games next question is from Douglas McCannelly at D underscore McCannelly which of these which of these last six games do you think as Admiral Akbar would say is a trap well, trap to me is a surprise difficult game. So I think people are expecting USC, North Carolina, and Virginia to be the three toughest. 
So that would leave Navy and Georgia Tech at home and Stanford on the road. I'll go with Stanford on the road just because Notre Dame might really have something to play for. That might be New Year six or not with a win at Stanford and winning at Stanford has been difficult sometimes. So Stanford would be the trap game for me. Yeah, well, I put Stanford in the category of the most stressful games remaining on Notre Dame's schedule when we were asked that, I think, last week. Um, so I can't I, – I disqualify uh, putting Stanford for my choice. Um, so my choice was Georgia Tech. Um, it's in between the two road games at Virginia and Stanford, um, which to me, I, I think it's harder for – a road game as always has the potential to be a trap game, and it's always something that I think you got to – so, and I think you're conscious of that. So maybe it's less trappy. Um, but Georgia Tech has some playmakers on its offense, and Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs. Um, that can be a problem if not dealt with properly. Um, maybe Notre Dame enters that game with too much confidence because they were able to handle that last season. Um, I don't think this is likely, but that's but that's why it's a trap game. So Georgia Tech would be the one that I would point to as a potential trash trap game. Next question is an email from Charles W. Wolf. Can you provide a full breakdown on the health of every scholarship quarterback coming out of the bye week? <laughs> Charles wants my job. I ask the injury questions around here. <laughs> I guess I have to give the answer here. Um, I think Jack Cohn's in a good place. Um, uh, Brian Kelly mentioned that Tyler Buckner practiced last week, so his ankle um, is on a trajectory to be hundred percent, you know, there can always be setbacks, but that's where he was coming out of the bye. I don't think Drew Pine has had an injury yet. Um, the interesting thing was Brian Kelly brought up Brendan Clark as somebody they gave some reps to during the bye week, um, to try to get him up to speed. Finally, he had the long-term knee injury, which turned into surgery, which turned into a marathon rehab. And so there seems to be some signs that he can at least help them in practice um, right. with being the scout team quarterback. I don't know what's going on with Ron Paulus the third. He was injured the last time we were in practices, but I haven't asked about him. And I don't know if you have Tyler, so I'm not sure if we know um what his no thought. no I don't know I'm not sure what he's recovering from but I'm I also don't, like I don't know when when I've seen him dress this season yet I don't know that I've seen him dressed out in pads at any of the games now I'm not always specifically looking for that I know on occasion I have sort of looked to see if he's been dressing but I, I haven't noticed him dressed yet so um whatever he is recovering from I'm not I'm not sure but it doesn't seem that he is available and uh I think the, the the positive news is that they're feeling they're feeling confident enough with Brendan Clark to get him in some seven on seven situations um, in practice. So I don't know that they would put him in a game yet, like you mentioned, but um, it seems like they're getting closer to that. Um, and I, obviously, Notre Dame would probably hope that they don't have to because they have three quarterbacks that have already seen action this year that they they would have some confidence in if if needed. Next question is from Donatello at Sports Talk Don. What whose dog did Drew Pine kill? It's clear the offense needs more mobility at quarterback to run the ball effectively, but also needs an accurate passer who can put the ball in the playmaker's hands. There is only one quarterback who checks both of those boxes on this roster as of now. Well, hopefully he didn't kill anybody's dog. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, Donatello's question is a pretty valid one. I think a lot of fans – 
have seen his cameos and kind of think, you know what? He stepped up against, you know, two difficult defenses. Um, Cincinnati has the number one pass efficiency defense in the country. And Wisconsin has 20th in there, the number two total defense. So, I mean, he played against some really good competition. But I think where he has kind of gotten trapped is that Jack Cohn practices much better than Drew Pine does. And, you know, Rick Meyer kind of mentioned this when we were talking earlier. You know, the coaching staff feels like Tyler Buckner is the future of the program. And he's good enough in the present to really cause some problems. So Drew Pine may check both boxes, but Cone checks the passing box better and Buckner checks the running box better. And, and I'm not rolling Drew Pine out because both those guys have been injured and he may need to come in and win a game for Notre Dame. So again, it's just, he's in kind of a weird spot, but he's one play away from you know, having to help this team and he's got a great attitude and I think he would help this team. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Donatello's point here is a little bit strong based off the small sample size we've seen of Drew Pine. Although I would say, I'm not sure that he's wrong or he or she is wrong. Um, but I'm not sure that uh, they're right either. Uh, Brian Kelly clearly doesn't believe that's the case because I, because I mean, if, if, he, if he felt that were the case, playing Drew Pine would make his life a whole lot easier. Like <laughs> throwing Drew Pine out there would, would be a lot more convenient than having to figure out how to balance playing Jack Cohn and Tyler Buckner. Um, I imagine we'd become more aware of Drew Pine's flaws with the more te- playing time that he received. Um, but he could also grow and develop in the offense too. So I'm, I'm, I, I would say I'm still sort of in the skeptical camp of how this Cone Buckner situation is going to play out. Um, because I think that's, I mean, you just like throwing Jack Cone out there to see how long he can go until he messes up too bad to replace him with Tyler Buckner. I, I don't know. I think it could, it could certainly backfire at some point. Um, but I don't, I think it's important to remember that no, none of us were calling for Drew Pine to be the starter three months ago. Um, and we still, and sort of like that's the, that is what we have the perspective of Brian Kelly talking about. Well, he this isn't what Drew Pine isn't killing it in practice, guys. It's not like we're we're seeing him light it up, and that's why. And then we're holding that against him or something like that. I I don't know that I was that impressed with Drew Pine in in preseason camps. The look that we got, looks like we got at him. Um, so I, I guess I can sort of understand that. Um, although I, I was certainly intrigued by getting a chance to see him some more after what he did in the Wisconsin Cincinnati games. All right, next we have two related questions that I figured we could sort of lump together. One was from Cheryl Russo at Cheryl R. Bunch of numbers. Why doesn't Notre Dame run up Temple more? This may help the offensive line. And then the other question was from David Carmichael at David Carr, 1967. Do you think the offense with Jack Cohn will use more tempo? It seems like Jack is very good at that, especially at the end of games. Also, do you think the offense will start playing to its strength on offense by spreading the field and getting their playmakers in space like jet sweeps? Um, so let's look at the tempo question. You know, I've thought that at times, I don't think they need to do a steady diet of it, but I think there may be points in the game where you do a series in up tempo. Um, and that may be a good thing for this team. I think why you don't do a steady diet of it is you had a new defensive scheme with a lot of new starters 
And a lot of times when you go up tempo, you're exposing your defense to more plays. Uh, they're going to be on the field more. So you slow the game down a little bit and hog the ball a little bit more so they're not on the field. But again, I, I don't think that's a bad idea in, in moderation. Um, as far as um, the team strength spreading the field and getting their playmakers in space, you know, I think if the offensive line was last year's offensive line, you could do that more. You could play less multiple tight end sets uh, or fewer multiple tight end sets. But the problem is you usually need to run some of those 12 and 13 personnel packages to help protect the quarterback. So um, that's, I think, why you don't see more of that. And, And you've got your best offensive player is a tight end. So um he, he certainly can be in those spread spread sets but uh you know there's you don't want to have him have to stay in and block right <laughs> you like him to be out in a pattern so that's why i think we haven't seen that maybe we'll see a little bit more of it down the stretch yeah i think the issue i have with the the multiple tight end sets is that how much are these other tight ends actually helping um beyond michael mayer like I, like, I don't know it's that George be interesting Tech- to see Michael Carmody play tight end. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think he can certainly help as a blocker, you would like to think. Um, but also, it's, you, know, you sort of eliminate the possibility of him being a pass catcher, too. So there's a little bit more predictability there, um, which know, is fine. I mean, you can basketball get, player. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can get away with that. Um, but I, in terms of why doesn't Notre Dame run up Temple more, clearly they didn't think that was a strength. I, I think. My sort of issue with tempo has been like, I think people sort of throw it around as a buzzword and think like, okay, just run your plays faster and it'll be easier. Like that's, that's not how it works. Um, and if you're going to run a up tempo offense, you have to have a reason for it. And the offense that Notre Dame has run most of the season wouldn't necessarily be helped by fewer time between plays. I think the offensive line and the quarterbacks have been struggling with communication and identification and trying to do that faster. Isn't going to make it easier. Um, I think it could only maybe complicate some of those issues, but I, so I don't think, I don't think you can successfully run up tempo until you have your offensive line figured out. And they've been shuffling guys on the, on the left side of the line pretty much all season long. But if an up tempo pace is sort of paired with an offense, that's making quick throws, spreading the ball out um, and like, taking some of the pressure off of the offensive line, maybe that can work. And I think, by reading between the lines of what I asked Brian Kelly about how the play calling can benefit Jack Cone more, it seems to indicate that maybe they're considering that, that part that Jack Cone is at his best when he's making quick decisions and when the defense is tired. Now they can't necessarily count on the defense being tired. And I, it's sort of like a backhanded compliment. It's like, well, Jack Cone's really good when the defense isn't good. It's like, well, well, that that's not saying too much about Jack Cone. Um, but but maybe if they're running up tempo and they don't give the, ch- the defense's chance to substitute as much, um, maybe that can help them. Um, maybe they sort of run a little bit more up tempo. It doesn't have to be like – you don't have to be like uh, – you don't have to have, have run an air raid offense to run an up tempo offense, but sort of have a little bit of pace, know what you want to do, have some conviction in what you're doing. Um, I think that can maybe benefit them. I think like even um, – in the Florida State game when Jack Cohn was playing well, like the very first series, um, 
they had a little bit of a pace there and they did, they don't get the first down on the third down. And then they sort of get back to the line, go on, go for it on fourth and one. And that's the touchdown pass to Michael Mayer. So I think there is room for that. It seems like Jack Cohn is comfortable in that. And as long as everyone else in the offense is comfortable with that, I think there's a chance that we could see some of that. Um, and I'm curious to see what that looks like if that is the case. Next question is from Bert Leonard at Bert2834. Why is it when an offensive lineman flinches, it is a false start? But if the whole line sets and then gets up to look at the sideline, it is perfectly fine. I'm going to let Tyler correct my answer. I didn't do a lot of research, it, but my thought was that you have to kind of be making a forward lunge motion or moving forward um, as if you're engaging in a play because we've seen tight ends be set and then pick up their hand, go in motion, and then line up on the other side of the formation pre-snap. And I would think, you know, looking over to the sideline in unison without kind of moving forward would would be the same kind of concept there. So, Tyler, correct me. Yeah, I don't know the exact ruling. I mean, the, the tight end in motion thing is a little bit different because an offensive lineman wouldn't be allowed to go in motion unless he's on the end of the line of scrimmage. Um, but and it doesn't necessarily have to be forward because you could be going backward in a pass set and that could be a false start, but it's more, more or less like a flinch. And and I think some of the wording is like a quick or or like a jerky movement, like something that they make you like you, you move suddenly, like you're going to start playing. Like if everyone, if an offensive lineman sort of stands up and looks to the sideline, that's not what he would do just for the start of a play. So it's not like simulating great fake. It's not like necessarily simulating what they would do. Um, so it is a bit of a judgment call. The referees have the sort of leeway to sort of decide, okay, like, um, cause I mean, even like when a center is pointing out the, um, if he's pointing out a, like a Mike linebacker, he technically isn't supposed to be able to reach across wherever the ball is, but sometimes that happens, but there's a little bit of a gray area there that I think the officials have some leniency with. Um, so I, I think that um, as long as the, it's not something that it seems like it's fooling the defense or, it's a flinch in a moment where clearly everyone's set and they're getting ready to start the play. And it's just like not happening. Uh, someone clearly messed up the, 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 the snap count, then that's going to get called. But if everyone's sort of, it's not, it's not strictly like you're not allowed to move a muscle at a certain point. Um, I think it's, it's a little bit more lenient than that. And then our final question is a bit of a long one. And I left it for the end because I feel like we've talked about it a lot already, but I realize not everyone is listening every week. So I will go through the question here. And sort of pull out the question because it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of information in addition to the questions, and so we can sort of and, and not entirely correct information. <laughs> we can sort of hammer this out. Um, the question is from Maverick at Real Deal Real D Deal Mav. What are your thoughts on the general O line room? They have improved from second to last in sacks of the country to now around 90th, but a school like Notre Dame should never have that issue with offensive line play. Do you think Jeff Quinn is a good Offensive line coach, for example, his 2018 line made top 15 in Joe Moore voting. It was a young line, so that was solid. 2019, they were bad and didn't make any subsequent lists at all. 2020, they were a top two line in the country, but an outlier could be that they had way more combined starts than any O-line in recent memory. Does Jeff Quinn have the ability to produce lines to ND standards without 150 combined starts? Uh, His recruiting this year seems to have taken a hit as well. Billy Shrouth seems concerned about his ability to be developed by Jeff Quinn. 
Okay, let me start with that part of it. Um, I don't think that that's fair to throw something like that out unless you've talked to Billy Stroud. And the irony in that is Steve Wiltfong of 247 Sports, who's our national recruiting director, put a crystal ball in. That means he's predicting Shrouth will end up with Notre Dame. And um, there have been reports that Shrouth is actually visiting this weekend and very close to a decision. So I don't think it's fair to, to say that he's got concern about Quinn developing him. Has he read things about Quinn on message boards from Notre Dame fans that would scare him? He might. And, and you know what? That's life, though. If you're Notre Dame's coaching staff, even though you probably don't like that your own um, fan base disses some of your coaches, you have to have a strategy for that. You have to be able to explain that. And you have to be able to explain why you're right and those message boards are incorrect. Um, do I think Quinn is a good offensive line coach? I think he is better than average, and he's got a resume that says that. Where I think maybe he falls short is he's not good with um, this kind of situation. I think that there are other coaches that would have handled this better. I think Jeff is better with um, – more experienced offensive lines where everybody's on the same level where he can coach them the same and not have to coach at different levels. Um, and maybe that's a blind spot in his coaching that he can fix. Uh, but I, I think he's done an incredible job of recruiting over the time that he's been the offensive line coach. And um, boy, there's some really good juniors um, that are coming in this weekend and other weekends, the 2023 class, some of the best linemen in the country that are interested in Notre Dame, and they believe Jeff, Jeff Quinn is a really good offensive line coach. Um, so that's what I have to say about that. I, I, I did not give him, when we did grades last week, I did not give him a good grade, and I'm an easy grader. Um, but overall, I think he's a better than average coach should Notre Dame have another Harry he stand I think they'd love to have that if that person exists and they can get him on staff but I think Jeff Quinn you know you have the second best offensive line in the country I think that's that belongs on your resume and you need to look at that too yeah I don't I don't have anything to add on the shroud situation I sort of agree that I I sort of question the veracity of the, the statement that was made here about him being concerned about Jeff Quinn's ability to develop him. I'm not sure that that is true or not. Um, in terms of the questions that were asked, what are your thoughts on the general line room? Um, I think this offensive line has been bad this season. Jeff Quinn hasn't done a good job with this unit. Um, even though, even if the, the offensive line improves the, throughout the, the rest of the season, that doesn't necessarily change that the, the, the beginning of the season shouldn't have gone the way it did. Um, it's, it, but it could be a sign that his message is, is resonating with players and they're able to sort of adapt and adjust. And he is doing some teaching because whatever was going on at the beginning of the season was not, was not working. Um, do I think Jeff Quinn is a, go ahead, Eric. We have some breaking news here that two, four, seven sports is reporting Notre Dame quarterback, Brendan Clark has answered 
entered the transfer portal. So that goes back to our first or one of our earlier questions where he wanted to know the state of everyone's. <laughs> um, so they will have one less quarterback. I just wanted to jump in there and throw that in. All right. Well, we will certainly cover that as soon as we get done with this podcast here. Um, do, do you think Jeff Quinn is a good offensive line coach? I think he's a good offensive line coach. I don't know that I would say he's a great offensive line coach. Well, I don't, I would, I shouldn't say, I don't know. I know that I wouldn't say he's a great offensive line coach. Um, this season has made me wonder if he's more flawed than I realized, but I still think he's a good offensive line coach. I think his track record um, speaks to that. Um, does Quinn have the ability to produce lines to ND standards without 150 combined starts? So that 2018 offensive line, which Maverick complimented, um, that was solid, finished in the top 15 in Joe Moore award voting. Um, that offensive line did not have 150 starts. It had 65 starts and we could even make that 78 starts. If you want to give credit to Robert Hainsey for splitting time with Tommy Kramer at right tackle the, in the 2017 season. And I also lost 27 starts to injury when Alex Bars went down and Aaron Banks stepped in with zero starts. So that offensive line was, was pretty good. I think um, in my opinion, either doesn't get enough credit for how good it was or gets too much credit for like, well, that was Harry. He stands line. Still Jeff Quinn was just a, uh, sitting at the steering wheel with some, with Harry, he stands uh, fingerprints all over it. But I, I think that Notre Dame, he, he has had success with Notre Dame's offensive line. This year is not an example of that. Um, and I, I, I think, um, and I'm, I think Brian Kelly believes this and we'll find out differently if, if something changes that um, Notre Dame thinks he can sort of get things figured out and correct um, whatever went wrong to lead to the, the poor start, uh, to this season, which obviously included injuries as well, but I don't think that is necessarily enough of an excuse considering how, how poorly the rest of the offensive line is playing as well. All right, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave a review. We'll be back next week with a USC review and a North Carolina preview. Until then, stick with ndinsider.com for your Notre Dame football pregame and postgame coverage needs.